Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Hello, Ebenezer family. It's great to have you with us this morning. My name is Chad Ingram, and I'm on the Ebenezer staff team. You can stay in touch with us if you text the word CHURCH to our office number, which is 306-249-0084. I have a few important announcements for this morning. We'll be uh, having Ebenezer Vision Nights coming up on May 17th and 18th at 7 p.m. These will be designated evenings to share more broadly the future vision of Ebenezer and to engage with you around that. We'd value your attendance at these evenings. We'd highly value your input on our Ebenezer Family Survey. If you are already in our database, you should have received an email link to fill out the survey, but you can also click on the button on the front page of our ebenezerbaptist.ca website. It only takes about five minutes to fill out the survey, and it will significantly help us to reconnect with our Ebenezer family, evaluate the present so that we can plan for the future, and update our database. So thank you for taking time to do that. And lastly, Through a grant that we applied for, we received approval for three summer project worker positions this year. The three positions would help us with our summer ministries, administration, maintenance, production, and media needs. Each position is for seven weeks in length and must be finished by the end of August. And this would be based on 40 hours a week at $15 an hour. If you're 15 to 30 years old, you can apply before the deadline of Friday, May 6th at 5 p.m. You can apply to Tracy, T-R-A-C-E-Y, at ebenezerbaptist.ca. Well, that's all for announcements this week. God bless you. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, If you are new to us today, either here in person or online, I want to especially welcome you today. This morning, we're going to be finishing up our sermon series to the book of 2 Peter that we've called Unshakable. And just before we, we get there, I have, I have one announcement and one confession. Okay, so announcement first. Uh, some of you came in a bit late, so you missed our announcements, but we have a survey that we've sent out to our church family. And if you, you should have received that by email, but if you haven't, because either it's in your junk folder or you're new to us, you can go to our website, ebenezerbaptist.ca, and fill this out. And so it's really important you do. We're trying to kind of recollect and figure out who's with us and update our database. And so it only takes you about five minutes or less to do that. So if you could help us out, we'd really appreciate that. Uh, second thing is it's a confession. Uh, I have a full sermon today. Okay, so... Uh, I hope that you're going to show me some grace and, and that that's not going to allow you to be, you know, be movable or unshakable this morning as I, as I say that. But it, I think it's going to be important for us because one of the things I'm going to be talking about is the progressive Christian movement a bit, and that's why it's a bit longer this morning. So we'll, we'll, we'll touch on those things. So let's just, um, I know Chet's prayed, but let me just pray as well. 
So uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word, um, a living word that is as powerful and relevant to us today as it is, was to the audience it was first spoken to. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are yours and that you hold us fast and help us to stand firm through all the storms and challenges of life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness so that we can know you better and walk in your ways. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we pray, we are not praying to some imaginary made-up God, but we're praying to the living God, who alone is king and whose words are true. And so come today and speak to your church and do a work in our hearts so that we may know you better and love you more. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for the sake of those who are new to us or those who might have missed a Sunday or two in this series, let me give you a one-minute recap of the journey that we've been on in this series. Uh, Second Peter was written by the Apostle Paul to encourage young believers who have been scattered across Asia Minor because of persecution. And he, he wrote this letter knowing that his, his own life was in danger and realizing that these might be his, his very last words to the church that he loved. And they actually were, which is why the Second Peter is known as Peter's farewell sermon. In the first letter that he wrote to the, to the church, he, he focused on the suffering that people were feeling. In the second letter, his focus shifts, and he warns his friends about false teachers that had wormed their way into the church and were causing people to doubt their faith and turn away from Christianity. And by the way, uh, false teachers are still a problem in today's church, as we're going to see later on this morning. And Peter's exhortation to the church was for them to continue to grow in their faith and knowledge of him so that they would have a spiritual foundation that would be immovable and unshakable. Now, um, if you've never read 2 Peter, I would encourage you to do that because it's only three chapters long. But let me just quickly summarize the three chapters. Chapter 1 uh, talks about the basics of the gospel and Christian growth and the, the sufficiency and certainty of God's word. Chapter 2 talked about the nature of false teachers and, and their message. And then chapter 3 focuses on the future and the certainty of Christ's return with us. Now, even though I might not be a prophet, there, there is one thing that I know for sure. And it's not that the Oilers are going to beat the Kings in five games or that Toronto is going to lose to Tampa Bay in six. And uh, if those happen to... Uh, come true, then you can review my status as a prophet amongst you. Uh, now, all joking aside, the one thing I do know with absolute certainty is that Jesus is going to return one day, just as he promised he would. And when he does, he is going to make all things new, just as he promised he would. And this is a, this is a wonderful promise that the Peter wants us to embrace and, and to live our lives in full view of as we move forward. And so if you have your Bibles, would you open them to, to 2 Peter chapter 3 this morning? We're going to look at the last four verses in that, in that chapter. And these last four verses um, kind, of, kind of restate some of the central themes and messages that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And Peter sets before us and, and how we're supposed to follow Jesus Christ and live our lives in view of his, the promise of his return. So uh, I am going to be reading from the ESV version this morning. You can follow along on the screen, or if you have your own Bible open, you can follow along there. Uh, this is what it says. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent, or the NIV says, make every effort to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. 
and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care, or another version says, be on your guard, that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, as I said earlier, this, this last chapter focuses on the future and the certainty of Christ's return. And so, with that in mind, there is a question I want you to consider as I begin speaking today and as we wrap up this, this letter. Uh, what are we to do as we wait for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? What are we supposed to wait and what are we supposed to do as we wait for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because it's not nothing. We're not just, you know, here killing time, you know, twiddling our thumbs until he returns, which, by the way, could be any moment or it could be a long time away. According to, to Peter, there are things that we are supposed to be doing as we wait, and that's what this passage talks about. Peter, guided by the Spirit of God, says that we're supposed to be diligent in pursuing a life that's without spot or blemish, that we're supposed to be diligent in pursuing a life of peace, that we're supposed to be fastened to the gospel of truth, and that we're supposed to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, even though, and I realize this, that there are many people who, who don't live their lives with the end in mind, uh, you know, our, that, that means our view of the end time, to, to understand that the future, that God is taking the future and moving it to a place. Even though that some people don't uh, believe that, it does matter. In our view of the end, or the theological expression for this, is our eschatology helps determine how we live in the present. Now, for example, if someone's view of the end time is different from what the Scripture says, it can actually result in some unfortunate decisions in the, in the, life, in the life that they live right now. Now, let me illustrate this by giving you a, a few kind of common expressions or realities of people who, who live without God's end in mind without this glorious hope of Jesus returning and without the hope of one day God coming and making all things right and, and having a new heaven and a new earth appear for us. And now you're going to recognize uh, these expressions because they, they may be in your life and certainly in some of your friends' life along the way. So the first common reality is, is hedonism, which is simply living for one's own self-indulgence and pleasure. And the thought process goes like this, that if this life is really all that there is, then I may as well live it up while I'm here and eat, drink, and be merry, and party hard until I die. Right? Now, you, you know people like that. They're going, if this is all there is, then let's make the most of it while we're here. A second common reality um, of, of people is apathy, which is a lack of interest or enthusiasm or concern. And, and the thought process for them goes something like this. If this life is all there is, and there, there is no greater purpose or goal of history, then there really is nothing to live for or get excited about. And so their lives become, become apathetic and they're filled with indifference because there's no belief in a purposeful future for them. A, a third expression would be despair. And despair is this complete absence or loss of hope. 
And for them, you see, when there's a lack of belief that history is moving into a climax in which God wins and his goodness reigns, it leads people to this despair, to this hopelessness in life, especially if life is not going as you thought it would. It's just there's lots of despair. Now, even um, as the people of God, it's easy for us to drift towards these three ways of life when we fail to focus on the promise and hope of Christ's return. It's all too easy for, for people like you and I to drift into hedonism and to spend our life trying to indulge our flesh and pursuing the things of this world rather than pursuing godliness. It's only too easy for us to, to fall into apathy and to lose our zeal for the Lord or our, or our excitement for his mission on this earth. And it's too easy for us to drift into despair as we look at the events of the world, things like the pandemic or the wars and rest, or we look at society and this, this boundless immorality that's there. And we think that the sky is falling and the world is spinning out of control and it just moves us into this despair. And so that's why we need a proper biblical view of what it is to come uh, and, and a complete vision of where history is going. Now, as followers of Christ, we need to keep this eternity in focus because it will change how we live our lives in the present. And because the belief that God will, uh, has an unfolding plan for this world uh, that is moving toward a purpose inspires godliness, not hedonism. And it inspires obedience, not apathy. And it inspires hope, not despair. So God wants us to, to live with eternity in mind. And as Peter concludes his letter, he gives four final exhortations as to what we should be doing as we wait. So let me just sh share these with you, and then we'll look at them in a little bit more detail. The first one is that we need to be diligent so our lives reflect the purity of Christ. Uh, the second one is we need to be diligent so our lives experience the peace of Christ. The third one is we're, we need to be dil diligent so our, our lives are established and grounded in the truth of Christ. And then the last one is we are to be diligent so our lives will grow deep in the grace of Christ. So here's the first one. We are to be diligent so our lives reflect the purity of Christ. In uh, verse 14, I, I want you to notice just a couple of words to start off with. The words, therefore, and the words, uh, these things. And uh, they connect us to, to something that... The, happened prior to this passage, and that's actually just a few verses earlier, the things that Pastor Kelly talked about last week. And, and they refer to the coming of Christ, the, the coming judgment of God, the reality of our final salvation, and this new heaven and new earth that, that God is going to create where, where righteousness is going to dwell and reign. And Peter says that, that while we're waiting for these things, that we need to be diligent now, that word, to be diligent, is, is a, a, a real action word in the original language. It comes with this, this understanding and with this expectation that, that something's actually going to be done, that we're going to do something about this. It's the same word that, that Peter uses in chapter 1, verse 5, when he says, uh, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and, and to your goodness knowledge and knowledge and so on, uh, all the virtues he lists there. It's the exact same word he uses in chapter 1, verse 10, when he says, be diligent to confirm your calling and election. And now it's the word he uses here in verse 14 of chapter 3, to make every effort or to be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Now, the wording uh, to be found by him is also interesting to me. Uh, the truth of the second coming is that he is coming, 
And according to this verse, when he does come, he is going to find you and he's going to, to find me. And so the question for us to ponder this morning is, is when he finds us, when he returns, how is he going to find us? And by that I mean, like, what is he going to find us doing? Or what is he going to find our character or the truth of our heart to be? Will he find us without spot or blemish like he hopes to? Or will he find us as blots and blemishes like Peter describes the false teachers in chapter 2? Now, the good news is that all those who are in Christ, those people who have, have embraced Christ and his truth, have been cleansed by his blood. We just celebrated that during the Easter season. And we're going to celebrate it this morning during the Lord's Supper. And because of that, we have, we have been made these spotless and blameless people in God's sight. And the good news is also that, that uh, God's power allows us to continue to be these people, that he has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the indwelling of his presence in the Holy Spirit. And Paul exhorts us, all of us, to be diligent in this matter. So let me ask you a question just before I move on from this first point, because diligence is meant to be an action word, and, and it means something for us to be diligent. So what would it look like for you in your life to be diligent so that you could be found spotless and blameless when Jesus comes, whether he comes to take you home through death or whether he comes again uh, to, to be with us? What would that look like for you? Would it be putting more effort into your spiritual disciplines? Like maybe you're someone who, who don't, you don't really have a prayer life and you don't really read the Bible. And maybe for you to be diligent is to, is to kind of lean into those, some of those disciplines and learn more about God and, and fellowship with Him. Maybe for, for you, it, it might be um, finding a godly spiritual mentor to disciple you. Someone that's going to hold you accountable for your life because all your life, no one's ever held you accountable. And maybe that's what it means to be diligent in these matters. Maybe for some here today, it's, it's simply making a commitment to be part of a spiritual family like, like this church. Or it might mean uh, discovering your spiritual gifts and then using them for God's glory to serve Him and to serve others in this body and in the world around us. And whatever action is needed... What Peter is saying here is that you need to make every effort because it, it's worth it. it. You need to make every effort to be diligent. So that's the first point. Second, we are to be diligent to our, uh, so our lives experience the peace of Christ. Now let me just read verse 14 again, and I'll just skip out a few words. It says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him at peace. So my, my question to you is, what does it mean to be found at peace? Well, I, I think it actually means uh, a, a few things, not just one thing. First of all, it, it means that, that we need to be at peace with God. The NIV version even adds the words in him at the end of the phrase. So make every effort to be found at peace in him, which really implies that when Jesus comes again, we should be ready to see him because, because our soul is at peace with God. Now, let me just illustrate this with, with something that might resonate with you because of, of your lives as well. But, but last uh, week, I had the opportunity with, with my wife and one of my sons to go visit my aging mom in Calgary. And um, she has lost her mobility, um, do, doing pretty good. But during our, our visit, there were several times that she looked at me and she says, you know, Leighton, I'm not scared to die. And then she said, I I'm ready to meet Jesus whenever he calls me home. 
That, that's living at peace with God. It's, it's saying to God, um, my soul's at rest. I am right with you. And whenever you come to take me, whether that's through death or through your coming again, I'm, I'm ready for you. Now, now, some of you aren't at peace with God. If God were to surprise you today in some form, it would be a surprise and you would not be ready because you're not at peace with him. Maybe this morning you can change that. Second, it means to be at peace with the community of faith. Now, just remember the context of this passage. Uh, false teachers had infiltrated the church and they created a division amongst God's people. And so Peter is not only referring to the spiritual peace with God, but he's recalling believers to a relational peace with each other. And, and this is a needed and relevant challenge for us today because we are coming out of two years of polarizing uh, perspectives in life, right? Where, where relationships at every level, at families, at work, at school, on teammates, inside the church, have been impacted along the way. And so there needs to be this, this relational healing that we're at peace with one another again. And so let's be found at peace with the community of faith. Uh, third, it means that we need to be at peace also with life and circumstances. You see, uh, when we have God's second coming in clear view, we don't have to freak out when stuff happens around us. Like when a pandemic comes upon us or like when we get a cancer diagnosis or we lose our job because there's something that says that this world is moving to a place where God is in control and we can trust him in those things. There's, there's a, a settledness about us. You know, as followers of God, we, we can look at the world events of the brokenness and the sinfulness around us, which honestly can easily overwhelm us. But we look at those things through a different lens as followers of Christ. When we experience hardship in this world and it feels like that the sky is falling or the world is spinning out of control, we can still have peace because we know that the Lord is near and that we have the certainty of Jesus' promise to return one day to set things right, even though we might be experiencing injustices right now. Now, I'm sure most of you here uh, are familiar with the verses found in Philippians chapter 4, 6, and 7. Uh, I'll start reading them and, and then see if you, you recognize them. It says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what does it, what does it say? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Now, how many people recognize that verse when I, when I read that? Okay, so, so quite a few of you. Now, here's my question. Do you know what the words are just before the verse? Because they're actually significant. So this is what Paul says just before he says that verse that I just quoted. He said, the Lord is at hand. Or another way, another version would say, the Lord is near. In other words, it's, it's because that the Lord is near that we don't have to freak out. Instead, uh, we, can, we can pray to experience his presence and peace in our life. And so as we wait, there should be a settledness about us and our lives. Colossians, Paul says in Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So as we wait, let's live at peace with God, peace with each other, and peace in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Okay, number three. I'm moving right along here. That's good news for you, okay? 
The only bad news is that my next two points are the longest. <laughs> okay, especially this one. So here we go. We are to be diligent so our lives are established and grounded in the truth of Christ. Now, this is an important section, so important, in fact, that, that Peter even references the Apostle Paul. And he kind of brings him in to give extra weight to the message that he wants to de deliver. And so, so basically what Peter's saying is, hey, I'm telling you these things, but just so you know, this is exactly what, Peter, what, what Paul said to you too. And so he's bringing that in. Verse 15, it, it begins with the words, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now, if you were here last week, this verse might sound familiar because Pastor Kelly talked about the patience of the Lord. And he, he talked about in verse 9 of chapter 3 that, that, um, that the seeming delay of the coming of the Lord is actually an act of God's patience and God's mercy. And one of the reasons that God has not returned yet is because he, he is being patient with us and he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. Now, Pastor Kelly also said last week that the, the days between uh, Jesus' ascension to heaven and today are called the last days. But, but in this passage, we also learn they're called something else. They're called the age of salvation, which is great news for everyone because it means that if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, that, that today, if you want to, you can call out to God to rescue you, and you will no matter what circumstances of your life are, because it's the age of salvation. And it means if you're already a follower of God, of Christ, uh, this is a time for you to be praying for your family and friends who don't know or don't believe in the saving work of Jesus because this is the age of salvation. And, and God is wanting people to be saved and he's working in their lives. And so just know that the God is actively, even today, drawing people to himself. And he's adopting people from every nation and every ethnicity and every cultural group to be part of a spiritual family. And if you don't believe me, you know, go and talk to Pastor Shadi or go and talk to Pastor Ramesh or, or talk to Claire who's sitting in the back there um, because he went on a mission trip and, and people are coming to, to know faith because this is the age of salvation. Now, verse 16 goes on to say that there are, are some things that Paul says that are hard to understand. And what was happening back then is, he says that the ignorant and unstable people were taking those things and they were twisting them to their own destructions as they did other scriptures. You see, uh, people back in that day, just like in this day, sometimes take the words of scripture and they twist them to make them say something that they were never intended to say and Peter describes these type of people in two ways. He says they're ignorant and they're unstable. Ignorant means they're, they're untaught. They, they, they don't know the biblical truths. They're, they're biblically illiterate. And biblically illiterate people are going to have a stunted spiritual growth because they don't have the ability to understand how to grow in their faith. They don't have the ability to to have the Spirit be, be working inside of them. And so they, they, they are stunted in their growth, but they're also susceptible to, to false teachings of all kinds. And then unstable people are people without a solid biblical foundation. And because of this, 
They are swayed by, by all sorts of compelling arguments that are out there. Now, now just think again, you know, today of the biblical literacy. How many people, you know, don't know their Bible very well, even though they come to church almost every Sunday? Or, or think of the people that are clicking on the internet to find out what the truth is, and they don't have the solid foundation to discern, is this really truth, or is this just this someone's idea? And it puts us at risk. You know, so these people are susceptible to false teachers, and, and we're more, and, and um, they tended to be people who, who would twist and distort scriptures and take them out of context, usually to fit their own biases and to fit their own way of thinking or their own lifestyles, rather than to let scripture shape our thinking or their thinking and their actions. Now, again, does that not sound familiar to us? Like how many people um, will, instead of letting the Scripture inform them of what they should be, when, they, when their life or their desires don't fit that, they try and find a Scripture or take Scripture out of context to, to, fix, to fit, fit their desires. Now, I want you to notice, though, what happens to those who pursue this twisted teaching. It doesn't lead to salvation like truth does. It actually leads to their, their destruction. Because anytime you start, you know, twisting things, it ends up destroying you. When you start taking away the power of the gospel, it, there, there's no place to go. There's no Holy Spirit to work in you and to keep on growing. And what Peter is saying here is he, is he doesn't want his readers to be carried away or literally to be blown away like a ship on the sea without an anchor. And ships on the sea without an anchor when they're being blown away in a storm are, are more are likely to be shipwrecked. And Peter's saying, I don't want you, the people in my flock, the people under my care, to be spiritually shipwrecked because you're being blown away because you don't have a foundation to hang on to. And so he issues, issues this strong warning in verse 17 for us. And this is what he says, You therefore, beloved... Knowing this beforehand, take care or, or beware that you are not being carried away with the lawless error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now, as we wait for Christ to return, Peter and Paul uh, together, because Peter brought Paul into this, you know, they're, they're telling us to guard your hearts and minds from being influenced by false teachers and ultimately drifting away from the faith and into their heresy. And Peter is exhorting us once again to be unshakable. And he's exhorting us to be immovable in our faith. And, and this, this only happens when we're rooted in our faith and standing firmly on the truth of the gospel and the truth of Scripture. But as you know, and unfortunately, being influenced and led astray by false teachers happens all the time and all too easy. It happened to the people in the first century. In more modern times, cults have made a living preying on unhappy people or dissatisfied Christians who have never taken the time to really study and learn the Bible for themselves in a solid way, and therefore they're susceptible to being, uh, being swept away by these other teachings. And even today, people who do not really know their Bible or have a solid foundation can be captured by new ideas of charismatic teachers whose teaching aligns better with their thinking and lifestyle than what the Bible says. Now, um, 
I was away last week, so it, it was a good thing that I, I watched the service online, uh, and I heard Pastor Kelly say that I was going to speak about progressive Christianity. <laughs> so I've been voluntold that I'm going to do that today. And, and, uh, and so I, I want to take a, a few minutes. And I plan to do this all along, but I want to take a few minutes and, and talk about um, this, what I consider a very dangerous group of false teachers who have wormed their way into the church and gained some traction, especially amongst the 18 to 30-year-old crowd, okay, especially amongst that crowd. Um, now, so, I, so how many people have, have heard of the expression progressive Christianity? Okay, uh, so about a half or maybe a quarter of you. Um, in the past few decades, uh, progressive theology or ideology has really taken off. And if you don't uh, recognize the term progressive Christianity, you're going to recognize some of the things that I say because they've, they've crept into to many churches and many Christians in their way of thinking. Now, one of the reasons that progressive Christianity has taken off, and this is, this is the one good thing for us, is that, um, is that it legitimately shines a light on areas where the historic and institutional church has fallen flat. Okay, so when we haven't shown grace or love or we haven't come alongside people. And so there's been a, a reaction to these things and people want to uh, show grace and love in those areas. And so it's kind of shown, it's, it, it's, it's shine, a, shine a spotlight on the church where we have failed. And we can learn from that and we need to grow on that. But uh, that's small reason, like, like small, small, Okay. The greater reason why it has risen in popularity is because of its theology. And um, it, it tends to be much more accommodating to, to our shifting culture, which makes it easier for a variety of lifestyles and views to fit into it. Uh, and so it has, it has a much broader perspective than, than historic Christian faith. Because historic Christian faiths might say this, and you go, well, I don't want to obey that. I want to have some liberty here. And then you'll just find something else. So it, it embraces more, which makes it a little bit dangerous. Now, um, so what is progressive Christianity, and, and why is it dangerous? Well, in some ways, it, it's pretty difficult to define progressive Christianity because it's an umbrella uh, term for a wide range of beliefs. In fact, uh, to the untrained eye, Progressive Christianity looks a lot like biblical Christianity, but the truth is, uh, is it, it actually is, is eroding biblical distinctives to accommodate the culture around us. So it's changing what the Bible is saying so that it can embrace the culture around us, and it's always shifting and moving. And that's why it's so dangerous, because it's eroding something that's, that's meant to stay and last. Now, um, I, I threw up a couple, couple names here because you know, obviously, this is a huge subject, and I don't have time to really fully develop it right now. I'm just going to kind of scratch the surface. And so for some of you that maybe are, are kind of starting to think this way, maybe it'll be a kind of a wake-up call, and you might want to rethink some things. For some of you that, that, that have never heard of this before, you're going to say, oh, that, that's what it is. But So let me give you a couple other names of things that you can look up on your own if you want to. But there, there's a couple of, of uh, good authors that have books and blogs and posts that you can turn to. Uh, one is, is A.J. Soboda. Uh, his latest book is entitled After Doubt. Uh, John Mark 
Comer. Uh, his latest book is in, entitled Live No Lies. He's a very popular writer. Mark Sayers, who's written several books, including Strange Days, Life in the Spirit in a Time of Upheaval. And then Alyssa Childers, whose most recent books are Another Gospel and also Live Your Truth in Other Lies. <laughs> so again, if you're into this terminology, like you know that what people say is, well, you know, I want to live my truth. That's, that's the terminology. But that's saying that there's not an ultimate truth, which is what the Bible says. Now, um, at the opposite end of the spectrum, and I don't normally do this, but today I'm going to, uh, there are, are people who have kind of risen up from inside the Christian church and, and names that you might recognize. In fact, some of these people, I used to have books of them on, on my, in my library because I would read them as they were just starting this movement and they were kind of deconstructing some pieces of Christianity that might, need have, been, might have needed to be deconstructed. But people like um, uh, Brian McLaren, who, who is now, he's, he's so far gone that, that it's, it's, it's not even the gospel, it's just a different gospel. Or Richard Rohr is another person, R-O-H-R. Or Rob Bell, or some. And they're, they're proclaiming... They're claiming, uh, and proclaiming a different kind of Christianity that's really not Christianity at all. Now, for the sake of simplicity and time, I'm, I'm <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to uh, use Alyssa Childers' summary of progressive Christianity as a template for this morning. Uh, Alyssa Childers has come in, has come out of the progressive Christian movement and now is one of the the big writers against us, and and she identifies five distinctives of the progressive movement. And so here, here's what they are. The first is a lowered view of the Bible or a lowered view of Scripture. So in progressive Christianity, you'll, you'll sometimes hear statements like, well, the Bible is not really from God. It's only a human book expressing people's experiences of God. No, that's a devaluing of Scripture. Or another, another thing they might say is, well, that's what the Apostle Paul said. But what did Jesus say? And underneath both those statements is, is this belief that we get to pick and choose what parts of the Bible are true and what parts of the Bible have, have authority for our lives based on usually our 21st century uh, Western sensibilities. And so when you start devaluing Scripture and picking and choosing what has authority, that's a very, very dangerous place to be. And that's what progressive Christianity is doing. Second thing it does she says, is, is, is uh, feelings are emphasized over facts. So in progressive Christianity, it's not uncommon to hear a statement like, well, this verse doesn't really resonate with me. Uh, and by saying this, they're, they're essentially saying that the no verse can be true unless they feel like it's true inside their spirit or inside their heart. And so... Uh, that means that the verses that describe God's wrath and judgment or verses that speak about hell are, are not very popular because judgment rarely resonates with any one of us. But ignoring verses like this undermine the character of God and as our righteous judge, and, and they diminish our need for a Savior. And so they become very, very dangerous for us. You know, a third... Um, you know, a characteristic of the progressive movement is that essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. Now, um, progressive Christianity uh, challenges core doctrines of Christian orthodoxy. 
You know, for example, the scripture clearly teaches that Jesus was crucified to atone for our sins. Again, we, we talked about that and celebrated that atonement, that substitutionary atonement on Good Friday when he died on the cross. And we're going to celebrate that again this morning as the church has been doing for, you know, almost, you know, 22,000 and some years. And, and so, but that, that idea of substitutionary atonement is being challenged and progressives, progressives even argue that Jesus' death was merely just a martyrdom, that it wasn't really necessary for, for uh, him to die for our salvation because God just loves us so much and he's going to forgive us and we're all going to get in eventually, right? That's, that's kind of what progressive Christianity is teaching. And, and, and this isn't the only major doctrine that's being challenged by the progressive movement. The scriptures claim that Jesus is divine, but our progressives only emphasize the, you know, tend to emphasize the humanity of Jesus. And the sinfulness of humanity is, is generally downplayed by progressives who tend to think that all people are basically good and not really in need of salvation. A fourth characteristic of this progressive movement is, uh, is that historical, his, historic terms are redefined. Now, uh, Hear me on this, because this is one of the great dangers of the progressive movement and, and why people are drawn in. It's because they use uh, biblical language. They will say things like the Trinity or God or love or grace or justice or resurrection. But they shift its meaning. And so, for example, the resurrection becomes a metaphor for something rather than an historic event. And, and things like holiness become a liturgy that we go through rather than a lifestyle of sexual purity. Another big one is love. You know, if we allow a 21st century definition of love to be imported back into historic biblical Christianity, we end up with quite something, with, with something quite different from what the Scripture teaches. You see, love in the Bible means putting the needs of others first. But love in the 21st century means accepting and embracing whatever a person wants you to accept and embrace. That's what it means to be loving and affirming and accepting. Now, same language, but totally different and new meanings. Now, one person um, who I interviewed for this uh, didn't hold back when he spoke about, about progressive Christianity. And, I, and, I, and I, I told him I wouldn't quote him, so I'm not going to use his name, and this is kind of what he said in his exact wording, um, but this is what he says. Uh, Progressive Christianity has the veneer of Christianity, but it's filled with half-truths that sound good and spiritual, but are really lies that misrepresent biblical Christianity. Like, like in his words, it's, it's a sham because it's disingenuous. It's trying to act like it's Christian but there's nothing about it underneath when you dig deeper that's Christian. That's why it's dangerous. Fifth characteristic is that the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. Now, now once again, on, on the surface, this, this sounds spiritual. Like, who's going to disagree that God doesn't long for people to live justly? Like we all do. And in fact, justice is, is, is a central concern of the Scriptures, and it should be a central concern of our lives as believers. But progressives don't actually want biblical justice. What they do is they strip away all the parts that don't appeal to them, 
and they come up with, with something new that they call social justice, which actually isn't even found in the Bible. And, and social justice often uh, comes at the exclusion of the true gospel. So let me try and explain this just a bit. So a, a, social, a social justice will say, we need to bring God's goodness here on earth. And, and there's a sense of that for sure. But it's almost like we need to build this, this paradise on earth. Whereas real justice says that's going to come one day when there's a new heaven and a new earth. So it takes what is to come later on and tries to put it in here, and it diminishes what justice is, and it diminishes the work of God and what he's going to do. And so, so that's why the progressive Christian movement is dangerous. And so if, if you're there, and by the way, um, the, the Bible talks about that we, we, should, we should have grace for people who doubt. So if you have questions and the church hasn't been cutting it you know, for you and there's some things you wish we could do better or there's some things about progressive Christianity that appeal to you, well, let's have a dialogue. Like, don't leave here this Sunday and say, I'm never coming back because Pastor Layton spoke about this. Like, let's, let's engage in a dialogue and we talk about these things. But when we have a dialogue, we, we hold up the Bible as the authority and we go to the Bible to see what it says and we, we say, this is the truth that we have to learn from. We adjust our lives to this, not to um, bowing to the social changes that are happening all around us. Because that is no way to live a faith. There, there's no stability in that. In fact, in any group that, that tries to keep up with culture eventually dies out because there's no sustaining power in that. There's only sustaining power in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Bible and in the Holy Spirit. Okay, enough about that. Uh, how am I doing for time? Just a bit over. One last point, I'll make it quick. Uh, the last point is that we are to be diligent so our lives will grow deep in the grace and knowledge of our Jesus Christ. You see, uh, verse 17 and 18 uh, really summarize the book uh, of Second Peter in a lot of ways. Um, verse 17, Peter speaks about having our hearts guarded and being guarded Christians so we don't fall prey to the to the false teachings. And then verse 18 talks about us being growing Christians for the glory of Christ. Uh, someone once said this, that the Christian life is like riding a bike, that once we stop moving, we end up falling off, right? And so we need to keep on moving. And, and listen, there are, there are reasons why, uh, why we want to stop moving. Like even right now, it's been a long two years, hasn't it? Like, isn't it tiring out there? And all this this conflict and polarization that we've been facing. But the Apostle Peter says, we need to press on. We need to press into no more Christ more and more and more. And so um, don't make the mistake of putting your faith on cruise control just because of something that happened in your life 20 years ago. Like maybe that's when you became a Christian at camp. Or something happened that was significant to you, but since that time, there's been nothing because, you know, God's not alive in you. Like, like, take your foot off cruise control and lean back into him. You know, don't stop moving in your faith because you hit a little bump on the road. Like, that bump could be, you know, God didn't meet you the way he thought you thought he should, and so you're going to abandon faith. Or a Christian person didn't respond to you, you the way that you thought they should, and so you're going to leave the church. Or... You have this big question in your mind that no one's asked before, except probably someone's asked it before. And you're thinking, I, I, can't, I can't stay in this church because who can answer this question? Like, don't, don't allow a little bump in the road to derail you from your faith. You need to keep on moving. And we keep on moving 
in, in the areas of grace and knowledge. You know, grow in grace. Stand in grace. You know, display His grace. And grace means that we, we understand, you know, the sense of, of who we are in our sinfulness and we come to God and say, God, would you purify me? And, and faith, you know, our faith gets stronger and our hope gets brighter and our love gets even greater. And in knowledge, you know what? Like, our knowledge of God um, is never going to be complete. There's not a person here in this room that is going to get to the bottom of the depths of Jesus Christ and who he is. Because our God and our Savior Jesus Christ, he's in, inexhaustible. We'll never know him. There's no point in our lives where we'll ever sit back and say, well, I've arrived. None of us will be able to do that. So we keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Jesus Christ. Now, remember, um, this is Peter's last letter to us. It's his farewell letter. And, and what he wants to, to say to us, remind us, is listen, watch out for false teachers and keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of of our, Jesus, of our and Savior Jesus Christ. And we do that for the glory of God so that we can know Him. I told you that was going to be short. Let me pray. And as I pray, if I can have the worship team come up and we're just going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Uh, thank you, God, for your word. And I pray that you would increase our gratitude for all that you've done for us and all that you've done for us on the cross. And so as we think about the bread and the cup today, we want to give you uh, praise and glory. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stay standing as I close with a benediction uh, from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And this is what it says. May you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now to the day of eternity. Amen. So thanks for being with us today. Again, uh, go reminded of the God's presence in your life and go with his peace in your life. Amen? Amen. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.